Praise the Lord from Pastor Strader at Lighthouse Church. Thanks for connecting with us through our podcast. Our prayer is that it's a blessing to you as we try to reach, equip, and mobilize Jesus' name disciples in Apache Junction, Arizona, and the surrounding region. Enjoy today's podcast and come back often. God bless you. We love you. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. It is a joy. It is a privilege to be with you all here. First time in, let me say this right, Apache Junction. All right. First time here. And, uh, man, it's beautiful. You guys are, you guys are blessed. You guys are blessed. I, as I'm approaching it from, um, I don't even know what town. I was in Gilbert. Is that where I was? I was in Gilbert, and I was, you know, following GPS to get here. And I was admiring the mountains from afar, but we kept getting closer, and I admired them more and more. You guys are blessed. Beautiful landscape. But uh, you can keep your summers. I perceive it's a bit toasty here. In the summer, uh, where I'm from, it's the opposite. I'm from South Dakota, and uh, the top 10 coldest places in the United States of America, including Alaska, over half of them are in the Dakotas. And so uh, in the winter, it will be negative 40 degrees, not feel like temperature. That really is the temperature. Then you add 50-mile-an-hour winds on top of that. And the absence of trees, we are so blessed in South Dakota. But I will say in the winter, you could always add more clothes. You guys in the summer, you could only take off so much. And uh, so I, I, do, I do love South Dakota, as cold as it can get there. It is where God has called us, and we love it. My wife and I, we started a church out there almost 16 years ago. We were 22 years old, and uh, it has been quite the journey, the joy, and in the process to be able to meet your pastor. Church, you're blessed. I, I don't know. I know they were mentioning they were mentioning a moment ago, I think there was a few guests in the house, and, uh, and I think we all can attest to this, that a good church is hard to find these days. There are a lot of shady people out there. There are a lot of crazy stuff going on, a lot of, a lot of funky stuff. And so it's important that you are picky about where you're going to attend church. And, but I like what I feel here. It's the first time I've been here, but just a good atmosphere, a good presence of the Lord. There's a liberty, and I thank God for that. So... If you're here today and you're church shopping, hip and hopping, flipping and flopping, it's time to best be stopping. This is a good church to be a part of. And uh, I know your pastor and his wife, they are godly people and they have a desire for the things of God. Amen. I love the Lord. The Bible says in Isaiah 12, too, as much as there's crazy stuff going on and fearful days that we're living in, it says, God is my salvation. I will trust. Someone say trust. trust. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. It goes on to say in Isaiah chapter 26 in verse 3 that 
He will keep us in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth. Someone say trust because he trusteth in thee. A lot of people don't live with peace, especially the past couple years. A lot of upheaval, unrest, and fear-driven society. We are held hostage by fear and worry and anxiety and stress. But the Bible says there is a God who can keep you in perfect peace. If we can just keep our mind on him. But we have to trust in him. The Bible says in Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. Are we in a troubled day? The Lord is good and a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him. God knows if you trust in him. If you genuinely, authentically, truly trust in him, God can give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. We serve a good God. We may not understand everything God does, but we serve a good God, and we need to trust in him. Before I get into the word here, I before I forget, my, they may have a picture of my family. I always love to introduce my family. Just so, where are you going? Oh, yeah, it's over here. That's, I always, just so people know I'm not some long-lost wayward child up here by myself. I do have a wife and children. And uh, those are my three children, Noah, Grace, and Eden. We're still in the book of Genesis. Our next kid will be Nimrod or Methuselah. And then that's my wife, Jordan, this past December. We have been married 17 years. And she is a powerful woman of God. If your pastor would have been sensitive to the Lord, he would have had her come and preach and not me. She is a licensed minister of the gospel, a powerhouse. And I love my family very much. And then that little guy that my son is holding that is we wanted to call him stimmy short for stimulus and uh, thanks to the u.s government grandpa joe helped us to get a uh, a dog last year you know we got some unexpected money in the mail for my tax credit kids and uh, so we got ourselves a dog provided by the u.s government his name's onyx uh, but one one sad thing is this week he he just got ran over and died. So I, I I am a bit shook up about it, to be honest with you. But if you could pray for my wife and kids, like they're really like not on a happy stage because that was our first family pet. We had him for one year. And uh, so if the government doesn't give any more stimulus package, uh, I guess we're just out of dog. So. No money, no dog, but it's all right. God is good, and Amen. brother stimulus, <laughs> the Lord is good. Look at look at that. You know the Bible says in James. 116 through 18, do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. From the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. 
of his own will begat he us that we should be a kind of first fruits. Every good gift that we have, every perfect gift that we have, we need to attribute to God. You know, some of you are probably wondering why Brother Stimulus so effortlessly gave so extravagantly. I'll tell you why. I gave this to him before service. And he had no problem giving it to me because he knew where it came from. He knew it wasn't his. I gave it to him because I trusted him. I trusted when the time came to meet a need of mine that he would give to that cause. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1.11 that according to the glorious gospel, the blessed God which has been committed to my trust. Someone say my trust. That's amazing. God gave the gospel to our trust. We make it so difficult to trust God. We also make it difficult for God to trust us. We, we make the same, I want to trust God or I trust God. What about the other side of that coin? Does God trust you? We, we go around and beat our chest, but yeah, I, I trust God. I'm not, I'm not afraid. I'm not worried. But does God trust you? The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all of thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. It goes on to say, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. And if we would do that, it says our barns would be filled with plenty and our presses shall burst out with new wine. Someone say trust. I don't know what you thought Sunday morning was going to be. I'll tell you right now, it's not what I thought it was going to be. I thought there was something else I was going to minister this morning, but God kind of just kept agitating my spirit to teach about trust. I know brother is talking about the miraculous. I don't know what realm of the miraculous he thought, but I do believe something miraculous will take place today if we allow it to take place. Jesus can do all things. But the Bible says in Matthew 13, 58, he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. The God who can do all things was withheld by the level or lack thereof faith present and evident in the room. The Bible says in Luke chapter 16, verse 10 through 11, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. I taught this past weekend to the youth workers training event about the things that don't seem so big, so important, or significant, 
really is a test from God on a level of faithfulness for him to trust in us or not to trust in us. He says, if you can't be faithful in the little things, God can't trust you with bigger things. Look at verse 11. It says, if therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon. This money right here, this, this, even though it's just paper, this stuff's powerful. This stuff governs our emotions every single day. It's what peels us out of bed in the morning to go to a place called the J-O-B that we don't want to be. But we have to be if we want to eat. We don't want to get up and go to work. But our Bible says our mouth craves it because we know without compensation, we don't get to eat. It's the power of money in society. It seems everything is governed and ran by this unrighteous mammon. And the Bible says, the Lord spoke here in Luke 16, 11. If I can't trust you with unrighteous mammon, who's going to commit to your trust true riches? We think this is riches, but I'm telling you the riches of God are much deeper than a dollar, much deeper than unrighteous mammon. And the Lord told his people, he says, look, if I can't even watch you handle this properly, if I can't trust you with this, why would I trust you with true riches? You know what true riches is? A soul, a revival. A thriving, powerful, apostolic church. God says, if I can't trust you with the carnal, I can't trust you with the spiritual. See, finance is a test. It is a test of trust. Look, God, God doesn't need your money. He ain't broke. You, you may have heard the story of a man that wanted his money so bad. He loved his gold. And so he did everything he could. Every day he would talk to God and say, God, when I die, please, I know I'm not supposed to take anything with me to heaven, but can I just bring one briefcase of my finest gold? Every day he prayed that prayer. And finally, the Lord's like, fine. I'll let you bring a briefcase of your finest gold to heaven. Made it to heaven, walking proudly with that briefcase, standing at the pearly gates, and the angels there looking at the reservation list, and the guy's name's there. And he goes, whoa, 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 what's the briefcase? He's like, oh, God said it's okay. I could bring a briefcase with the contents in here. And the, the angel says, let me see what's in there. And he opened it, and the angel's like, oh, you brought asphalt. All right. What we see so valuable, God says, look, there's streets paved with gold in heaven. God doesn't need money. God doesn't need our gold. But it has such a stronghold in our life. Finance is a test. 
We're all quiet and uncomfortable here because we're talking about money. You ever want things to get weird in church? Talk about money. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, there's ways we can talk and give money. But the person that gives sparingly is going to receive sparingly. But the person who gives bountifully will receive bountifully. Just like when they, a moment ago, received that offering, three different attitudes begin to surface in the room. Some people gave grudgingly, as it says in verse 7. Some people gave of necessity, as it says in verse 7. But there is another element in this room as well. People that God loves. God loves a cheerful giver. When you can give with a smile on your face. Sometimes I, I tell the people at the church in water, man, put a, put a smile on your praise. And some people, they just look like they're having a miserable time at church. You know, you, you can tell what Bible translation they have. I was mad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was sad when they said unto me. I put a smile on your praise. And put a smile when you give. Because God isn't after the amount that you give. God is after the spirit in which you give. Man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. God says, I like the attitude in which they give. Just like some people, the, the, the worship leader, the minstrel of the Most High, the sweet psalmist of Israel can begin to sing. Come on, lift your hands. and Yeah, you, you, you can do that. Well, you say, well, I'm, I'm, I did it. I'm submitted. Some people, I, I used to believe submission was, you know, just doing what you don't want to do. And you could say that's submission, but there's a more powerful submission. Doing what you don't want to do with the right spirit. That's true submission. That's real submission. That's godly submission. We can, we can do what the worship leader says and just lift our hands because he said to lift our hands. Or you can proactively do it before the request even comes. I'm just going to lift up holy hands without wrath. Without doubting. You know why? Because I love God. Someone ought not to beg you to love God. Someone ought not to beg you to worship the Lord. Someone ought not to beg you to invest in the kingdom of God. Finance is a test. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 1.7, in that night, God appeared to Solomon. Anyone ever have God appear to you? Anyone ever heard God speak to you audibly? It's not a common thing. It is a possible thing. I believe it with all my heart. I've had God speak to me as near audible, but I've, I've not heard personally the audible voice of God. I'd like to. I'd hope to. But Solomon had God appear to him and spoke to him. 
You know what God spoke to him? He says, Solomon, let me pull out my checkbook. Blank check. I'll sign it. You fill it out. Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. That's pretty cool. You know, like, you know, there's the, the fanciful story of, like, the Arabian Nights, and, you know, you could find a, a, a genie bottle, rub that lamp, and poof, he pops up, and you get three requests. I mean, what would you ask? What would you ask? And why, why was Solomon asked such a thing? Not Abraham wasn't asked that. Peter wasn't asked that. But why was Solomon presented a blank check from God? See, God gives blank checks to write motives. And motives count. Because when you read the verses before and after what happened in the context of this verse is that Solomon gave thousands of his best. He gave his finest cows to God. And I, in case I don't got it jotted down, but the estimated value of the highest priced I, I live in South Dakota. I'm originally from Chicago. A little culture shock when I moved, a little, a little different. You know, in Chicago, we hold our guns like this. In South Dakota, it's like this. I had to adjust a little bit. But I never realized how expensive a cow. Now, there's inexpensive cows, but then there's some top dollar ones. That if you wanted that cow to basically, you know, help reproduce your, or that bull to help reproduce your livestock, all that kind of, you're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars. Even own it would be millions of dollars. Because it's the best. And Solomon didn't give his leftovers. When you estimate the amount he gave, it was in the upward realm of billions of dollars. When it came to coming into the house of God and building the work of God and for the future work of God, he gave billions of dollars. And it wasn't about quantity. It was about quality. He gave his best. Because some people like to use that, that, that poor widow woman, you know, as a, a cop-out in giving because this poor woman came and all she could throw in was two pence, just a couple pennies, while the other people were throwing in their $100 bills. But Jesus says, look, she gave more than anyone else in that room. They gave of their abundance, but she gave all that she had. See, some people think, you know, when we talk about tithes and offering and tithings is some sort of like, you know, scheme or just some Old Testament concept that we need to throw out the window. First off, Matthew 23, 23 should be your new memory verse. Because tithing is not some Old Testament thing that you just, it's done and over with. Jesus says, you know, look, you, you, you've done the, 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 the parts of the law, the, the judgment of God, the mercy of God. But there's some things that you haven't done. He says, I want you to have judgment. I want you to have mercy. I want you to have faith. These ought ye to have done and not leave the others undone. What's the others? He says, you've tithed of mint, anise, and cumin. He says, you've tithed, but your spirit is wrong. 
And he says, I want you to get your spirit right. And he says, and I want you to continue tithing. It's both and, not either or. It's about spirit and it's about giving. What spirit in which, or what spirit are you giving in? It's just Sunday school class here today. We're just going through a Bible study, but I do believe that God wants to help this church. I believe this is a revival church. I do not know you, but I know what I feel. I know what I believe, that God has a promise for this church. Would you lift your hands for just a moment? We're going to move here in the Holy Ghost. Would you lift your voices? Would you open your mouth? Would you begin to praise God and ask him to speak to you in these next few moments? God, I pray you open up the windows of heaven, roll back the roof of this church, and fixate a ladder between heaven and earth. And I pray that the angels of God would ascend and descend upon this congregation. I pray your divine presence would walk up and down these aisles, and Lord, that you would saturate this room with your spirit, with your will, and let revelation go forth. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? Your wealth. I'm, I'm not wealthy, I'm poor. If you make twenty to thirty thousand dollars a year, you are the top one percent wealthiest person in the world. Our definition of poverty is first world poverty, American poverty. We make more. We are in the top 1% wealth of the world if you qualify for food stamps and government aid. You're still the top 1% wealthiest in the world. It makes you maybe hear the words of Jesus a little differently when he says, how, how rare it would be for a wealthy man to enter into heaven. It would be like trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle. Right, that's right, that's right. You get him, get him, God. Get Bill Gates, that's right. How is he going to get in? No, he's talking to you. He's talking to me. We are the top 1%. That means you and I are going to struggle to get into heaven. Because we're holding on to something that actually is holding us hostage. And if we are not careful, we are living in a world right now where it's God versus mammon. And there is a battle royale going on in every single one of us because this is how society operates. Money, money, money. Chasing the Benjamin. Chasing the dollar. Our wealth is an opportunity to waste or to worship. Your wealth is an opportunity you can waste or you can worship. And I've learned this principle. I've heard it taught and I believe that God blesses the open hand. It is the hand that is open that God can put in. God can't put into this. But God can put into this. And as long as it stays in this position where it is a funnel, it is a channel, it is a conduit, God can place in it. You know why? Because he trusts you. 
Trust God and let God trust you. And what goes in, anytime God's voice speaks, the, the blessing should go the direction of the voice. But if you do this, God's voice won't allow it to flow out. We have to be sensitive to the voice of the Lord. God blesses the hand that remains open. And if we are not thinking and considering this, we will just be like your average person. We are never given from the tribe of Benjamin, always the tribe of Washington. We'll just be Pentecostals. We'll be oneness in the most George Washington sense of giving. But God loves a cheerful giver. You know why people get mad about this topic? Because Jesus said so. He says there's hate and love in this topic. Look at Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters. For he either will hate the one or he's going to love the other. He'll hold on to one and despise the other. He says it is impossible to serve God and mammon. But we're trying to serve God and mammon. But we cannot have it both ways. Jesus says the two strongest emotions are in this topic right here. And that's why things get weird in a church service when a preacher talks about money. Love comes up and hate comes up. And I do understand why our guard comes up is because I mentioned it in the beginning of service. There's a lot of crooks out there. There's a lot of wicked things that people do in the name of God by using money and using the name of Jesus. They're trying to get people to give more in this seed faith offering just so that preacher on TV or the radio can have his you know, private jet and have his mansion. Look, I, I, that's not Christianity. I'm sorry that offends you, but that's not biblical giving we're not trying to build a preacher's kingdom we're not trying to build a preacher's bank account we are trying to make sure that our heart is not held hostage by a spirit of mammon and we want the spirit of the gospel to go forth and I want God to know Lord I trust you and I want you to trust me would you lift your hands I'm I'm hurrying here would you lift your voices for just a moment God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that scales, as it were, would come off of eyes today. I pray you would open ears to hear. I pray, God, that there would be a spirit of revelation in this room. I pray it be so in the name of Jesus. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? Mm. We need to take a lesson from nature, a lesson from clouds. Now, you know, we're in, we're in Arizona. You guys probably don't have any clouds ever. It's always a blue sky. Come to South Dakota where it's like, you know, forecast, overcast every day. It's depressing. There's always the clouds in South Dakota. But you guys get monsoon season, so I'm guessing there might be a cloud or two around then. Ecclesiastes 11.3 tells us to take a lesson from the clouds. It says, if a cloud be full of rain, basically you see that cloud up in the air and it's just getting bigger and thicker 
and darker. And if you're in a drought, which you guys probably, that's, you know, you have two seasons, drought and monsoon probably. I don't know. You, you could want a little rain. You could use a little rain. And what could be worse than seeing a cloud with rain tease you and pass on by? Especially if you're a farmer. What a tease. What a letdown. But the Bible says a cloud that is full ought to empty itself upon the earth. And what are we? We are nothing more than clouds filled with rain. We are more filled than any generation ever. You, you live better than King Solomon, who is the wealthiest man in the land. Home Slice didn't have indoor plumbing. He didn't have AC or heat. He didn't have a sweet ride like a car. We're, we eat well. We live well. And we are full. But God forbid that we be clouds full of rain that never empty themselves upon the earth. The earth needs rain. The, not, I'm not talking money. I'm talking with the money goes into. The money is to invest in the kingdom of God so the great commission can go forth. The earth needs us to let rain go forth for the mission and the vision of this church and your pastor in this congregation. God wants there to be a downpour in this church. Mm. Exodus 36, verses 5 through 7, there was, there was a man that heard from the Lord, and that man was given a vision from God. His name was Moses, and he was doing the best he could obey the Lord, and the Lord began to speak to him about the vision of the church, the tabernacle, the church in the wilderness, and God began to give him a blueprint. God began to give him dimensions. God began to give him the layout of what was going to take place place and so Moses obeyed God and he began to declare what the Lord put on his heart and something happened to that congregation the Bible says there was a spirit of willingness that came upon the people they became willing to give of anything and everything they could to contribute to the cause of God's will and God's plan and then all of a sudden as the people began to come and the people began to give Moses was informed this. Moses, hey, the people are bringing much more than enough for the service of the work. And so Moses had to give a commandment in verse 6. He says, I, 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 ushers, head ushers, come here. I need the head ushers. I need you to announce to the congregation. I, I don't want any more guys, any more girls. I, I don't want any more offerings coming to the church. I need you to restrain the people from giving. You ever have a church service like that? Hey, uh, you know, hey I, need, I, need you to, I need you to announce from the pulpit, church, stop giving because you're giving too much. <laughs> I ain't never been in a church service like that. Never. And it goes on to say in verse 
7. The stuff they had was sufficient for the work to make it, and it was too much. We got too much money. We got too much giving going on in the church. I'm telling you, there is such a spirit that can sweep over a church where a cheerfulness and excitement and anticipation arises saying, I'm excited. I'm excited to be a part of this church. I'm excited to invest in the vision. I'm excited where the church is going. I'm excited where the church is headed. And God, anything I can do to be part of it, anything I can do to give to it, anything I can do to help facilitate, God, the channel, the Lord of souls that's going to flow through here, I do it willfully, I do it cheerfully, and I do it sacrificially. Mm. I'm telling you, giving is powerful. It is powerful. It is, yes, an uncomfortable subject to bring up and to teach and to preach, but I've learned not to get uncomfortable with it because I've been through the spirit of mammon. I have fought the spirit of mammon. I have wrestled the spirit of mammon. I've been held hostage by the spirit of mammon. But when I finally surrendered and I finally began to trust God, God began to trust me. And it's a sweet spot to live in, to walk in stride where you trust each other. Like a husband and wife. You can betray their trust. I mean, the ultimate betrayal would be adultery. Now, a marriage can still miraculously be reconciled that way. But there's other things of betrayal. It could be money, being spent secretly that the spouse doesn't know, and all of a sudden there's a betrayal of trust. And it's hard to restore that trust, but trust in a marriage is powerful. A marriage where the husband and wife trust one another can do great things and live in a peaceable state. There's nothing like trust in a marriage, and there's nothing like trust when the bride, the church, the bride of Christ, and the groom trust one another and believe one another. They can work together. Second Chronicles 31.4, there's something that takes place in giving. The Bible says in this season, this moment of Israel's history, it was a bad one. The temple was neglected. It was in shambles. It was a wreck. It was bad. And all of a sudden, a, a spirit just came over Hezekiah and he began to proclaim and began to preach and try to encourage people to give to the work of God. And the Bible says, moreover, he commanded the people that dwelt in Jerusalem to give the portion of the priests and the Levites. Why? That they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. The Bible says that there was a disheartening in the priests because they, they, they were trying to fulfill what God called them to do. But they could not do it because there was not the finance. Look, revival isn't rocket science. But it does take rocket fuel. It does take rocket fuel. And there's got to be a people that invest in the program. 
that invests in the cause, that invests in the mission. We all want to go to the moon, but somebody's got to invest in the mission to get to the moon. We all want to see people get to heaven, but someone's got to invest in the mission to get people in this area to heaven. And this is what God is calling us to do. Who believes in the mission of the church? Who believes in the mission of your pastor? Your pastor ought not to be discouraged. Your pastor ought not to be worried. He ought not to be frustrated. He should be encouraged. Look, your pastor is not money hungry. The board of his church is not money hungry. They are hungry for the things of God. And it can be just, look, you're looking at someone that dug out of work. It was just my wife and I. And we started preaching and working with one person in the room. You want to talk a weird church. You try that. And man, the church was jank. It was beat up. It was run down. Our, our speakers, it, it sounded like I was preaching through a kazoo. We had some weird church. We had some tough times. My wife and I went through some horrible times. First half of those 16 years was the most depressing of my life. We, we, we went through states of first world poverty. You know, we were poor. The kind of poor where you're, you're eating your cereal with forks just to save milk kind of poor. Been there. I remember sitting in the parking lot of social services and then just looking at the long walk to ask for help. I know what it's like to work two jobs for seven years and have nothing to show for it. And it's basically almost all of your finance trying to keep the church going. I know what that is like. I remember sitting in that parking lot. I could hear my father's voice who said, don't you ever walk through the doors of that building of social services. He says, with an able body, do not live a disabled body life. Now, I'm not here slam and damn and condemn anyone that's ever received aid from the government. I believe there's times for it. But it was just my upbringing, and I heard my father's voice as I'm sitting there in the car shaking and trembling. And it was the most humbling thing to get out of my car and walk through those doors to ask for help. But I, I've learned to trust God. My wife and I have learned to live sacrificial willfully, cheerfully, and sacrificially. And when you, when you give unto the Lord willfully, cheerfully, and sacrificially, you can't help but have God's face turn towards you. God does not ignore a church that gives willfully, cheerfully, and sacrificially. God's face is toward a people that are like that. My wife and I, we have this, 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 this hope, this prayer that one day we will live at a place where we give 90% and keep only 10%. I want to flip that tithing principle around. God's been so good to me. We're not there yet. We're at 30%. We, we, we keep 70% and give 30%. And if you could, if you think tithing is like, you know, it's like some like sort of corrupt system that God's trying to rob you of and all that kind of stuff. Look, you could try the New Testament system of the book of Acts. They gave everything. 
That's in the book. They gave every. They sold their car. They sold their home. They sold their land. Why? Because they were not interested in this earth. They were interested in a world to come, and they wanted to help get the gospel out there by any means. I'm not asking you to sell your house. I'm not asking you to sell your car. I'm asking you to change your mind about what giving is supposed to be. Understand, it is not a money-making scheme. It is not some power hungry greedy preacher that you are under I'm telling you it is a pastor that has a vision for this land and he has a blueprint from God and the church needs to rally behind it and say look I'm willful I'm cheerful and I want to be sacrificial it gets quiet sometimes when I'm telling you God is about to bring a shift in this church's thinking, a shift in this church's giving, a shift in this church's mindset, if we would get the revelation of what this is about. You trust God? Does he trust you? And we could do the minimum. There's no such thing as an offering until you have tithed. Tithe is 10% of any increase that comes your way. And at the first thing you do when you receive increase, this is trust. God, I just got $1,000. 10% of that is $100. Immediately $100 is yours before I pay bills, before groceries, before anything else. That takes trust. When we are in a financial upheaval as a country, that takes trust. And after you fulfill tithes, now you can give offerings. And the Bible says there's tithing and offering. And that's where a spirit comes in. Am I going to give willfully, cheerfully, and sacrificially? And God says, prove me. See if I won't open up the windows of heaven. I was at a general conference. as a mission service. And they're presenting the needs of missionaries. And my wife and I are sitting there. And God moved on my heart for, for me to sell my car and to give it to missions. And I'm like, don't. And I turned to my wife and go, babe, I think God just told me to sell the car and give it to missions. She said, okay. Pretty cool to have a wife like that. Because we've learned to trust in God. Sold the, we looked up the value of the car. Someone asked, someone came to me and asked if they could buy my car. I didn't, have a for, I didn't even put up a for sale sign. I was like, sure, I, I, I don't know what it's worth. So we did a quick Google thing. And it was like a Volkswagen Jetta 2000 or something. I, I can't remember the year, 2004. And it was, the value was like, I don't know, $1,500. I, I, I don't have this written down. Just a story that came to my mind. Maybe 2000 And the guy's like, oh, okay. Well, I'll, gi I'll, I'll, I'll give you twice the amount for it. He gave over $3,000 for this used, beat-up car. And then after that happened, he says, but here's the deal. 
I want to give you something. I go, what do you want? What, what do you mean? He goes, I want to give you the car back. And we were able to give that amount to missions and get a car back to us. And that car started acting up. And I started praying. You, you, don't, you don't have to believe this story if you don't want to. I'm telling you, God is my witness. I'm driving that car to a place I'm about to preach that I've never been to in my life. And as I'm driving, all of a sudden I see a vision of the church. And in the parking lot is a Mini Cooper with a for sale sign on it. And God says, that's yours. And all of a sudden, like, back to the road, I was like, whoa. And I'm driving with, you know, my, my, the, 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 the dashboard's lit up like a Christmas tree. All the lights are on, you know, the oil change. And this is broken. That's broken. You're broken. You know. And so I, I'm driving. And as I'm pulling up, the GPS takes me to the church I saw two hours before I arrived there. And there's a Mini Cooper for sale. Long story short, at the end of it, I'm getting to the car to go out to tea with the pastor. And I, I look at the Mini Cooper I, you know, I, it was my favorite, like, you know, Mario Kart. It was just beautiful. And and I get in the car, and the pastor says, oh, you like that? I go, yeah. And uh, he goes, well, you should buy it. I was like, I don't got the money for that. And uh, he says, well, it's my wife, so maybe she'll do something. So he told his wife, long story short, they swapped vehicles. I went from a 180,000-mile broken-down Volkswagen Jetta to like a, it was like five-year-old Mini Cooper at the time. It was like a 2012. It was like, I got this fresh, beautiful, awesome 50-year anniversary Mini Cooper. Full leather, all that stuff. I'm not celebrating material. What I want you to understand is God sees the spirit in which you live and give and operate. I remember sitting in a church service. It was a conference, and I was about to preach. But before I preached, they had a church planter come up. Him and his family were going to move and go start a church somewhere. And all of a sudden, the spirit moved upon me to empty, to give everything in my bank account to that family so they can go start a church. So I told my wife, she's like, all right, go do it. And so I, I gave, and all I had in the bank account was a little over $2,000 and gave it to him. And the only reason I had $2,000 in the bank account is because my tax return came. That's the only reason. I, don't, I, don't, I usually don't roll like that. But I gave it to him. The next day, random strangers came up to my wife and started putting their hand in her purse. Just kind of awkward. And people would give me a hug, and then they put their hand in my suit coat pocket. And people just, random strangers started giving to us. And when we started driving back home on that day, we got in the car and we emptied our pocket, and on our lap was six thousand dollars. We were shaking, and we began. To, and the Lord spoke to me. This happened in April, eight years ago, and He said, "I want you to turn in your two-week notice to work. I don't want you working a secular job anymore." I'm like, "What?" I'm pastoring a church of like fifteen people at the time. I'm not preaching all over the world, and I got diddly squat in the bank account. And God says, do you trust me? I go, yeah. He goes, put your two-week notice. And that was eight years ago, and we have lived by faith, and God has provided every step of the way for eight years. 
I'll say, share one more. It's 1130. I'm in my own way. I got I to gotta catch a flight here. You have a picture of that blue-white building? This is the house. It was a split-level home that we started, and we lived in the basement, that bottom left window. It was, it was tiny. Like, I could touch the ceiling. That's how tiny it was. It was like four foot nothing. And that was the most intense season of my life, trying to dig a work out there in South Dakota. I remember we started having some, some growth, but not much growth. And this, this one gentleman one time, he was bothered by the fact that I, I was teaching on the church to give sacrificially and, and to support missionaries overseas and to support other church plants and to give to Mother's Memorial, move the mission, save our children offering. We were, we were a church with an open hand. A lot of times I feel like we were a church like with a cup too, like alms for the poor, alms for the poor. And I was working two jobs, and he says, I don't understand why we're giving to these other things. Isn't this a mission field? Aren't you kind of like a missionary? Can't we just give to you, and can't we just give to this assembly and stop putting money out there? Don't we have need here? And I, I told him, yeah, we, we have need here. And I, 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 I said, thank you for thinking about me. Because he, he really, he genuinely says, he was sincere. He said, look, I, I don't like watching you work two jobs. I'd like my pastor to be able to give more time to this assembly. And I told him, thank you for your sincere heart. But we are going to be a giving church. We are going to be a sacrificial church. He didn't like that, and I wasn't trying to have an argument with him. I just began to try to help him understand some things biblically of what we're going to be. Some people exempt themselves from giving because they're small. Jesus said that widow woman who had two pence, which all of you have more than, she gave all. No matter how small, you can still give Nobody is exempt from giving. Nobody. You give what you have. And so we begin to do it. We gave more. We gave more sacrificially. And that's when later God spoke to me about stepping away from secular employment. It did not make a lick of sense. But every year the giving went up. The sacrifice went up. And we began to pray over a church property that was $1.3 million, four acres of land. We had no business being, even thinking a thought about that. But in one service, a spirit just came over me. I began to prophesy to the wind and declare, God is going to give us that building debt-free. We will never take out a loan. And for altar call, I said, for altar call, we're going to that building. It was in January. It was January 26th. Uh, this was seven years ago. And we stepped out of our building for the altar call. And there was only about 20 of us. 
and we were in a full-fledged blizzard, wind chill, all that stuff below zero. And we walked out in a blizzard to this building, this four acres land, 11,000 square foot building, paved parking lots, Sunday school classes, marquee sign, huge big steeple. And we laid hands on that and began to declare by faith that God was going to give that to us. Long story short. I, I, it was, they were selling it at, for three quarter of a million dollars at a time. And, and we tried to make a deal with them and they said no. And, and, and then I went back to them. I said, well, can we do a contract for deed? And they said no. I went back to them. I said, how about, would you take $500,000 and you take our property? We take your property. We swap and we'll do a contract for deed that way. They said no. And I went back and I offered them $400,000. And I went back and offered $300,000. I, 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 I'm not right in the head, you know. And so I'm, I'm, I'm offering less each time. And the final time I said, how about $250,000? And they said yes. I was like, well, we need to sell what we have. And they said, no, we don't got time for that. We need to do this now. I was like, hold on, let me make a phone call. I called the church and we called a prayer meeting. The church came together and we began to pray. And at the end of that prayer meeting, we received a phone call. And someone said, we want to buy your property. And I was like, awesome. And they said this. They go, we need to be in your property in three weeks. I said, let me call you back. So I called the other church back because they were renting it out in contract to someone else. I said, how long is that contract good for? They said, the contract's up in three weeks. I'm like, oh, okay. We sold our property for $110,000, but we still needed another $120,000. I'm not doing math here, but it's over $100,000 we needed. And so... The church is like, what are we going to do? I was like, we're moving forward by faith. We needed three weeks to find over a hundred grand. And in three weeks' time, over a hundred thousand dollars came into the church. And I walked into that day, the day, the very day of signing the papers with $250,000. I felt good. I ain't never held anything like that. Come on. And we got that building. If you want to put the picture of that, that our church building up, debt-free, never, ever had a debt or took out a loan. There's maybe one more other picture. I don't know. I think I sent like two. And we went from this tiny little 2,000-square-foot building, just a handful. This congregation is twice the size and four times the size of our church property that we had. I mean, church was like literally just like this section here. The platform was from here to here, you know, a lot of walking space, you know. And, it, and it, it, this was it. But I'm telling you, we did not look at ourselves as exempt from a spirit of giving. And we were not comfortable with where we were at. I'm telling you, this building is more occupied than our church was occupied. But God gave us a vision. And I'm telling you, this church is not meant to stay in the confines of the walls of this building. God has given you a man of God with a vision. And he's go I don't know what and when he's going to preach all that vision. But when he begins to declare this church needs to be in one mind, in one accord, in one place. Don't fall in love with brick and mortar. Fall in love with a vision. I give honor to every elder 
gathered here that helped build this work over the years. But do not fall in love with brick and mortar. There is a vision beyond this building. There is a vision beyond the brick and mortar here. And this church has to buy into it with a spirit of giving, a spirit that is willful, cheerful, and sacrificial. And God is going to open up the windows of heaven and give a blessing in which you cannot contain. There's this, this I, I can't think of the name of this primate. This, there's this monkey in Indonesia. It's very small, very frail. And there was a, uh, like a zoo that wanted to have these monkeys in their exhibit. But they were hard to catch. And the only way they can get them is from a distance. And they would, they would hit them with tranquilizers. But the tranquilizers were too powerful and potent. And it would kill these monkeys. And so they could not do it that way. But they couldn't find a way to capture them. They were frustrated. And they come back to the village after trying to find these monkeys. And they would see all the villagers have that monkey on their shoulder. So they asked them, how is it that you have this monkey? How did you capture it? So the villagers took them along out into the forest. And you see all these little tiny monkeys in the tree watching them. And he grabbed this fruit and he cut a hole in it, emptied it out, and put something the monkey likes inside of it and tied it to a stake in the ground. And he got the zoo people, and they walked away to the distance, and they were just observing the monkeys watching the whole thing. The monkeys, out of curiosity, they could smell the food, see the food. They, they crawl down, and they put their hand inside of that hollowed fruit with the food inside of it, and they grabbed the food. And all of a sudden, as they grab it, then the villager would come to get the monkey. And the monkey starts acting frantic because he's got the food in hand. But he can't get his fist out because the fist is closed. And he can't get, if he would just let go, he can get out. But what he had a hold of had a hold of him. And they could just walk up to it, capture it, and walk off. You got to keep your hand open. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. I close with this. I'm so glad, though the Bible says Jesus was rich, he became poor. So poor was Jesus that his parents had to borrow a manger for him to be born. So poor was Jesus that on the day of his consecration, on that eighth day, they could only offer an offering of a poor person in the temple. When Jesus grew up, he was homeless, never owned property. So poor was Jesus, he borrowed boats for travel. So poor was Jesus that he borrowed a boy's lunch to feed others. So poor was Jesus that he borrowed a donkey 
to travel the streets down Jerusalem. So poor was Jesus that he had to borrow someone else's dining room to have the Last Supper. So poor was Jesus that he had to borrow another man's tomb to be buried in. But when it came to your salvation, he didn't borrow anything. He didn't put it on a credit card. The Bible says, Acts 20, 28, this is the church of God that he purchased with his own blood. If you want to be like Christ, you don't give to get. You give because he gave. We must have a spirit of giving. We must have a spirit of sacrifice. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. This communicates your heart as we stand together. I know this is perhaps nothing that you expected from a guest speaker on Sunday. But I, I, I feel strong conviction that God's trying to get the attention of this church to change the culture in which you give. It did me happy to hear something along the lines as they were making announcements that this church gave some $4,000 to save our children's offering and remains one of the most giving churches in the district of Arizona. I applaud you for that and I encourage you to continue to go in that way, but I believe there is a level of giving that you have not yet reached that God is calling you to. And there is a vision that is going to be presented by your pastor. There is going to be a future presented. And it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take trusting God. But I promise you, God is faithful. When I give, I'm not, I, 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 I'm not thinking about what am I going to get back if I give. I've learned to give because I love to give. I enjoy giving. God's been so good to me. God has been so good to you. Can you lift your hands for a moment? Can you ask God to speak to your heart right now? Come on, would you, would, would you use your words from your mouth and from your heart and begin to say, God, speak to me. Speak to me about being willful. God, speak to me about being cheerful. God, speak to me about being sacrificial. Lord, I, I, I don't want to live with a closed hand. I don't want, Lord, to be a cloud that's full of rain but never empties out. Lord, I don't want to accumulate and never dispense, Lord. I want to be a cheerful giver. I want to have a right spirit. Ah, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not by my might and not by my power, but by the Spirit of the living God, I pray that your presence would sweep over this congregation like a breeze. I pray, God, that it would move upon every heart. And, Lord, that there would be a spirit of giving that would be released in this congregation right now. I pray a spirit of giving released upon this congregation right now. I pray, God, that there would be a move of the Holy 
Holy Ghost upon every heart, upon every mind, upon every soul. God, not something we can manipulate, not something we can conjure up. I pray, Lord, it is a divine work. I pray it be a sovereign work. I pray, God, that you would begin to resensitize our hearts. God, I pray you take back the callousness of our heart. God, take back the jadedness, Lord, in our giving. And I pray in the name of Jesus that we would become a kingdom-minded congregation. Come on, would you pray with me right now? Would you pray with me right now? God, I want to be a kingdom-minded congregation. Not my kingdom, but thy kingdom. Not my will, but thy will. God, I must decrease and you must increase. I pray there's an increase of your kingdom, God. I pray there's an increase of your kingdom, God. Come on, don't look around. I ask that every eye be closed and every mouth be open. I ask that every eye be closed and every mouth be open. We ought to be talking to Jesus right now. He's trying to get the attention of every member of this church. He's trying to get the attention of every pillar in this church. He's trying to get the attention of every young person in this church. May it be said of the Apache Junction Church that this is a willful, cheerful, sacrificial group of people. Come on, lift your voices. Come on, talk to Jesus out loud. It's got to be your prayer. It's got to be your prayer. Don't look around. Look to Jesus. Come on, close your eyes to cut out distractions and pray right now, God, move upon my heart. God, do what only you can do. God, do what only you can do. I pray there's a willingness that moves on this congregation. I pray there's a willingness that moves upon this people. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, let a spirit of giving usher in our hearts and our minds. Jesus said in Luke 12, 34, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Church, I don't know you. I don't know you. But I'm asking you, where is your treasure? Where's your heart? We all got families. We all got mortgages. We all got things. This is not some money scheme, I promise you. It is a spiritual battle that all of us face. All of us face it. I face it. I got to balance the checkbook. I got to make sure income, outcome, I got I to gotta take care of it. But there's times God calls on my wife and I to do something that doesn't make a lick of sense. 
In Proverbs 3, 5, we all, you know, have, you know, a, a bookmark in our Bible with that verse. We got it written, you know, on a t-shirt or on our bathroom mirror. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. All thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel, marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance. The context of trust is giving. And God wants to develop your trust in him. And he wants to trust you. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. I'm so glad I've learned to trust in Jesus. I feel to do something and maybe nothing will happen and fine, fire me. But I, I want to present the opportunity with the spirit in this room to give. I noticed they had a slide that had text to give. You can put that up. If you have offering plates, buckets, you put that up here. I want us to pray one more time. I know they already have received an offering, but I want us, I want us to pray that perhaps what we gave wasn't with a spirit of giving. I'm not here condemning nobody. If nobody gives, you ain't going to hurt my feelings. I'm not going to twist your arm. I'm not going to beg you. But I'm going to ask you to ask God what to do. That's it. You know, that's it. Ask God what to do in this moment. If he doesn't ask you to do anything, then there you go. You can walk out. No conviction, no condemnation. But I wonder if we can give God a moment to speak to us and see what God would do in this moment. Because to obey is better than sacrifice. It's not just about the sacrifice. Because I've seen people give extravagantly, but it wasn't out of obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice. So if God just literally told you, if, if you're a millionaire and God told you just to put $1 in, to obey is better than sacrifice. Because a millionaire can give of their abundance but not give out of obedience. There's a difference. It's about learning to train your ear to the voice of God. To obey. that makes sense? So talk to God for just a moment about it. God, I pray right now. I have no idea what's going to happen, God. I don't know if a single penny will come in. I, I'm not pressuring nobody, God. And, Lord, I'm not any, under any pressure. I just believe that we're going to practice what we preach. And we're going to pray, God, whatever you will, we will. Whatever you will to be done, that is what we will do. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak to a heart and soul clearly, God. Somebody that's been asking to hear from you, God, hasn't heard anything from you ever in their life. But they're going to hear the near audible voice of God right Right here, right now. I declare that by faith in the name of Jesus. They've wanted to grow in their ability to hear your voice. And I believe God in the time of giving is when they're going to learn to be listening. I pray in Jesus' name for a listening ear and obedient ear. I pray God that you would remove every distraction from our mind that would compete with the voice of God. Every alter, uh, alternate voice that would compete with the voice of the Most High. I cast down imaginations and every high thing that 
exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And I bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I pray, God, that a spirit of giving would get a hold of every heart. Some may give in this moment, but some people, when they go home, you may speak to them very clearly when they get in their car, when they get to their home. But I just pray in the name of Jesus that there would be an obedient ear in every hearer in this room right now. In the name of Jesus, would you lift your voices? Would you lift your voices? Would you lift your voices? Come on, would you talk to Jesus? Lord Jesus, whatever you will to be done, I will, I will, I will. I submit myself to you. I'm going to trust you, Jesus. I'm going to trust you in this moment. God, my flesh cringes. My flesh is afraid. But God, I'm going to bring this body under subjection. Not my will but thy will be done. I will do what you have asked of me to do. I wish there would be a prayer in the spirit right now. We ought not to be afraid to pray over such a subject right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, a spirit of travail. I pray a spirit of intercession. I pray a spirit of investment. I pray a spirit, God, of buy-in. Come on, I pray there's a 100% consensus of voices right now. You may not have finance in your pocket. You may not have finance in your bank account, but you have a voice. Would you invest your voice in this prayer right now? Would every voice pour out to God as an offering? Would every heart pour out as an offering? Would you be a living sacrifice to God right now? Would you be a living sacrifice with your voice and your praise? Now, come on, we're not focused on dollar right now. We're focused on voice and heart. Would your voice be lifted up as an offering to Jesus? Would your hands be a wave offering to to him right now. Come on, let's give God an offering of praise and worship right now. You can do that. You may have not been able to participate in financial giving, but you can participate in spiritual giving right now. Would you give of your spirit to Jesus? Would you give all of your heart, all of your mind, all soul in all of your strength let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord every voice in this room every sound that you can utter to the Lord would you let it out right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ I give you my voice I give you my voice I give you my voice I give you my hands I give you Lord my tears I give you my praise I give you my worship I give you all that I am Jesus Lord I give you a heart of worship I give you a heart of worship withholding nothing withholding nothing I surrender all to you Lord I love you Lord I worship you
Come on, there's a sweet spirit in this room right now. Entertain the presence of the Holy Ghost. Come on, that's it. There's a beautiful presence in this room right now. Come on, as Solomon offered a sacrifice, then the glory of God swept into that room. When Solomon brought a sacrifice, the glory cloud swept into that room. There's a glory cloud of God's presence sweeping into this room because you got the attention of God. You got the attention of God, a giving spirit, a worshiping spirit spirit gets a hold of the spirit of God come on in the name of Jesus you got God's attention ask what you will ask what you will someone ask for true riches right now ask for a soul that you want to see in this church come on that's why we're giving we're not giving to build the storehouses of a financial kingdom we're trying to give to invest in a spiritual kingdom pray for your backslidden husband right now go ahead and pray for your backslidden child right now that is true riches that's what we're doing this for go ahead and pray for your cousin who's in jail right now go ahead and pray for your sick grandma right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ pray for true riches we do not let the spirit of mammon get a hold of us so God can trust you with true riches God can trust you with souls That's it. God's going to give this church true riches. God's going to give you souls. God's going to give you souls. God's going to give you souls. You have proven to God, I am not bound by a spirit of mammon. I am not held hostage by a spirit of mammon. You now have the trust of God, and God can trust you with true riches.